0: and hopefully we can uh, have a chat with you afterwards. Um, by way of introduction, um, my wife and I have um, been associated with uh, this church for I don't know how many years, I think since we started meeting in a little hall uh, quite a few years ago, um, and have been serving as missionaries with a, a, um, an agency called WEC, Worldwide Evangelisation for Christ. And um, just to give you a bit of an idea as to what we've been doing, I thought I'd just give you this quick PowerPoint. Um, our mission's uh, primary purpose is to go where there are no churches and to establish churches and to train up leaders to the point where we can exit. So reaching people, planning churches and mobilising for mission. And to do that, we need to have People in certain places around the world to mobilise and train and prepare people to go. So that's our role. We've been doing that in WA for many years. Before that we were in Thailand and Cambodia uh, doing mission and church planting and community development. Uh, But last year we were asked to go over to Victoria. Uh, So we've been there for one year and this is just a very brief report as to um, some of the things that we've been up to. Uh, We set up an office in, in Box Hill but. Those of you who know Melbourne, it's 30 minutes east of the CBD. Uh, we share a double-storey building with 10 other mission agencies, and everything was going well until they sold the property on us uh, a couple of months ago. So all the mission agencies have scattered and are looking for new places of abode. Um, but God, talking about grace, um, we have we actually said no to going Victoria. We didn't really want to go. Our WEC leaders in Australia asked us to go, and we said, "Mm, no, I think I'm doing something else. And then they said, well, just pray about it. So as you do, you pray about it. And then God spoke, yes, it's right to go. And time and time again, uh, to the point where if we didn't go, it would be disobedience. But as we went, God opened the door. And one of them was the office. Uh, It was just very cheap, and it was right centre in the Bible belt um, a house that was opened up for us, um, a house full of furniture, everything, literally everything, coffee machines, pillowcases, TV, all the furniture for $1,000, $1,200 or something from one house. Some rich dudes in Geelong wanted to get rid of everything in one fell sweep and we needed everything in one fell sweep. So Third timing, talk about God's grace, it was just amazing. Anyway, so we need a new office, and uh, Mobile Mission Maintenance, you're familiar with them. They do renovations for churches and agencies, mission agencies. They literally live around the corner. Their national headquarters is three minutes from where we live in Mitcham. And um, we went to see them because we needed a new office and place, and they said, well, no, we've got this company on the second story. We're downstairs, so sorry. Love you guys, but sorry, can't help. Two weeks later, the company... Uh, going belly up and had to vacate the office. And so we're now sharing the office, we will be sharing the office in three weeks' time when we go back with Alpha, the national office of Alpha, which are our neighbours at the moment. So God's grace uh, continues to amaze us. Uh, We do a lot of things like setting up displays and events in conferences and conventions in Melbourne And uh, places like Belgrave Heights, uh, it's like the Keswick here, they have 1,500 every meeting over four days. So wonderful opportunities to network. I got to speak at the uh, missions um, presentation at this one in Easter. Um, And different places like uh, Melbourne School of Theology, Uh, Activate is a missions conference for young adults. Um, And so we journey with some of these folk that we meet up with at these conferences. The MST, used to be the Bible College of Victoria, uh, is now a formal, or WEC, WEC's College in Tasmania is now a formal partner with MST. Um, Vos Trinity, uh, SMBC, all of those colleges are accredited through what they call Australian College of Theology, so you can cross-credit your studies. So it's a great opportunity to be able to network with these colleges and to meet up with people, sometimes preaching or teaching, And then those who are interested, we've started a missions collective which um, meets at our place once a month. A bunch of young adults that we're mentoring and journeying with, uh, some of them there. One's been to Guinea-Bissau this year on a short week mission trip and we're hoping that some others will take the step and go out. We had a prayer gathering in uh, Brisbane also and next march we'll be hosting it in melbourne in belgrave heights um all of us need spiritual direction and my spiritual director is friar tuck uh, not really his name is Lindsay mckenzie and he's the leader of batel which is a ministry amongst drug addicts in australia uh, they work in 24 countries around the world. It's a ministry of WEC, um, but it's become its own mission and they are in uh, Yellingbo which is just up the hills from Melbourne and we had our celebration of Christmas there with them. Uh, in October I got uh, had the privilege of going to Thailand and my rusty tie kicked into gear and I was able to uh, preach there in one of the wec related churches and uh, had great fellowship with them. Uh, the conference was the delegates from our 24 teams in Southeast Asia, or Asia, every two years we meet together to share information, reports from the teams, and it's just a great opportunity for us to understand the dynamics and the mission and vision of the team so that when we prepare people to go, we understanding where they're going to. So it was a great inspirational time, and uh, it was just so good to meet up with some of our Thai leaders that we had been to before. We were there in the beginning of this church. It's now gone on to become its, uh, have their own pastor. The pastor is now the president of the WEC-related denomination. Denomination, There's about 120 uh, WEC-related churches in Thailand. And um, uh, I was going to say Horm, what's his name? Atikom uh, is the pastor of the main church in Gampang. So I gave them a missionary challenge, actually. I said, look, you guys have been around for many years now. Is it time for you to send out your own missionary? I believe they can. So it's great to see the churches getting to that stage where they're almost ready to send out their own missionaries and to meet up with some of the other leaders that we used to work with, uh, Sawat and his family. Um, Then also last month, Lynn and I went to, the month before in November, we went to East Timor. We have some pastoral responsibilities to the small team there. And it was great to just uh, see what they're doing. Uh, They're involved with... um, Let's go back. To, no, um, Children's work, uh, youth ministry, uh, teaching courses, uh, church planting. And um, Diane, the field leader from Brazil, um, is uh, mentoring and teaching young emerging leaders from different churches in East Timor. That's the beginning of the first Bible college in East Timor. There's no Bible college in the whole country. So Diane, with two other missionaries from two other agencies, is... Um, starting to teach and train some of these emerging leaders which is great to see Uh, we had a national half day of prayer while we were there and it was great to see different churches come together not everyone was interested and one dog walked out in the middle of it all this is what happens when you go to asia and some of the uh, churches that are there it's great Um, that's not very clear but the, the dark green places are the most evangelized countries in the world so kenya Uganda, South Korea, and of course some of the lighter shades of green, and then it, as it goes white, is what we would call unreached people groups—those who have less than two percent of the population who are Christian, evangelical Christian. So our role as the church um, and as mission agencies is to is to send people to those places, as Jesus said in Matthew 28:19, "Go and make disciples in all ethnic groups of the world." So That's our brief, and that's what we endeavour to do, is to partner with local churches like yourselves and to send folk out and to support the churches there and to start churches where there are none. So our prayers, um, we praise God for a great transition into Victoria, uh, good connections with churches and colleges, um, some opportunities to speak. Uh, We haven't been there for 13 years, so we're doing a lot of groundwork, and getting to know the folk and them getting to know us. Uh, students from Worldview College into Victoria, sorry, from Victoria, inquirers. Uh, there's a lot of people that put their hands up for mission. Uh, what we want to see is the feet that follow um, and just to see them moving out there. Uh, the WEC prayer gathering in in March. We are trusting also for an intern to work with us. We've started a young adults uh, meeting and we do a lot of networking and encouraging We're getting a bit grey around the gills, so we're looking for a young adult to work with us to help drive that ministry further. And um, we're in touch with a few folk. And this month that we're home, uh, just time with uh, our family. Our son Joel is getting married on January the 20th. Uh, He's the youth coordinator at Mount Hawthorne Baptist Church. And uh, our two girls are leaving in three weeks time, one to USA to do a year's course in um, film and acting and another to Sydney uh, for a Cert for in Christian Ministry and Theology in in Sydney. So we'd appreciate your prayer as uh, everyone's uh, flying the nest and we're home for this time. Um, But we do want to thank you for your um, prayers and for your financial support as we continue to serve God um, in Melbourne. So that's just a brief update as to what we're doing. And now I'd like to share some thoughts from God's Word in one Peter chapter two, verse nine and ten. If you'd like to um, read with me, it's not a, a long reading. One Peter chapter two, verse nine and ten. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're the epitome of grace and that you gave to us your life that we might receive eternal life in exchange, something that we don't deserve, but in your grace you've, you've done that, you've made that available to us. Help us to understand your word and we ask that you would captivate our thoughts and our minds to the obedience of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. so 1 Peter 2 verse 9 and 10 I thought it might be helpful if we just look at the background and the context in which Peter is writing this letter he actually begins in chapter 1 let's go right back to chapter 1 verse 1 and um, he says Peter an apostle of Jesus he's writing to those who reside as aliens who's ever received one of those letters dear alien these aren't the Steven Spielberg mutants or inventions from Hollywood but these are actually Christians both Jew and Gentile who have been scattered throughout these various provinces because of persecution from the pagans from the local authorities and from Jewish mobs and so the the Christians had to scatter and and Peter is just writing this general letter to them of encouragement because of the persecution that they're experiencing. And he talks about the trials that they're experiencing. Now these aren't the 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 major persecution period came a little bit after this letter when Nero the emperor of Rome actually in his colosseum put the Christians in there and they were persecuted he'd set them up as tarred them and put them in gardens and lit them um to be tortures in his garden it was just terrible some of the th- stuff that happened to the Christians in that period of time this is just a little bit before that and it's almost like a forewarning of what is to come and Peter's wanted to encourage the church and the Christians to be strong in God's grace and he talks about um, verse uh, 6 of chapter 1 uh, various trials tested by fire verse 7 Suffering for the sake of righteousness chapter 3 verse 14 and a fiery ordeal among you so he's, in, he's trying to encourage them and then as, as I read through this whole book of 1 Peter it just th- speaks to me of God's grace it's like a theme running through just look at some of them uh, in chapter 1 verse 2 he says now Grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Chapter 1 verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, may careful search and inquiry of you. Chapter 1 verse 13. Fix your hope completely on the grace. Chapter 2 verse 3. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Chapter 4 verse 10 serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God chapter 5 verse 10 and after you have suffered let me just read that one for a little while the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will perfect confirm strengthen, and establish you and then he finishes off in chapter 5 verse 12 he says just in summary I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. So Peter is, is is encouraging the Christians who are scattered because of persecution to stand firm in God's grace. So that's the theme of this whole letter. Okay, what is grace then? I remember when I was in Bible college, many years ago, one of the lecturers asked us, what does grace mean? Now you're going to have several weeks of this from your pastor so hopefully by the end of that you'll understand it. But I remember to this day that question being put and quickly the smart students would put out uh, acronyms of God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, that's good. Unmerited favour, receiving what we don't deserve. Okay, that's good. But the thing that stuck to me was when the when the lecturer picked up a a glass I don't have one here thank you my dear this glass and he picked up this glass he says this is grace you're given a cup of cold water and then you stumble and you smash this glass but in kindness the person gives you another glass of water only for you to stumble and break it again And it just keeps on coming you don't deserve it but it keeps coming to you it's a gift that we receive that's grace unmerited favor things that we receive that we don't really deserve like communion mercy on the other hand is things that we should get punishment from God but is withheld there's a subtle difference between mercy and grace and if you've read anything of Philip Philip Yancey's uh, book he calls it in his book uh, what's so amazing about grace he calls it the new maths of grace as you read through Jesus description we find it very unfair and the disciples had no inhibitions in about telling Jesus that it wasn't fair when Mary poured out the alabaster perfume it was a huge expense Jesus can't you see what's going on here this is this is not right for her to waste or we could have used that money to help the poor or or some other project that we're thinking of and then Jesus tells the story about the shepherd leaving 99 sheep Where does he leave them in the Sunday school pictures I remember seeing them of a corral where they were all safely there but The actual Bible says he leaves them in open pastures to thieves and wolves and goes out to find the one that's lost doesn't make sense does it or the widow pouring the offering and Jesus said the two mites that she gave was much more than the the bag full of shekels that were poured in they're trying to get their head around this it's just not fair what about this one this really messes with my head the owner of a vineyard He hires people to come and work in the vineyard at morning, noon, and evening, and they all get the same wage. Try that today's society. Not fair. I demand my rights. And that's the whole point. Grace isn't fair. C.S. Lewis um, was in a uh, conversation with some of his colleague lecturers in Oxford University. And they were debating about the differences between the major religions of the world. And in comes C.S. Lewis and they said, well, you tell us the difference. What's the difference between Christianity and all the other religions? Quick as a flash he said, that's easy, it's grace. No other religion op- operates like Christianity does. We lived in a Buddhist society for nearly 20 years in Thailand and Cambodia. The precepts, don't kill, don't steal, don't lie to Karma. If you, what you sow you reap Islam is a system of following through certain procedures and it's all precipitated by fate and fear to this fearsome God whom there's no relationship with Christianity is the only religion that offers grace, receiving eternal life in heaven with God as a free gift we don't have to work for it, in fact you can't because none of us can reach that standard of perfection and the glory that God lives in. We're all sinners saved by grace. So that's what grace is. And when we were in Cambodia, a a stark illustration of this was the... uh, He was a a captain in uh, the Thul Slang uh, Museum in Phnom Penh, the capital of Cambodia, during the Khmer Rouge uprising... He was in charge of this interrogation prison. His name is Dutch and he was a Cambodian under Pol Pot regime and he was in charge of torturing and killing literally thousands and thousands of his own countrymen. problem was he became a Christian. While we were there in Cambodia, this guy who had been hiding for for many years uh, was found out by this investigative journalist and hit the headline news all around the world, Dutch. Becomes a Christian. And he simply said, I did it, I was wrong, please forgive me. All the other Khmer leaders, including Pol Pot, denied anything they had to do with it. Now, is that fair? This guy, this monster guy, who killed and tortured babies, bayoneted them, and all sorts of hor- horrific things, could be set free like that and enjoy eternal life in heaven? It's not fair, but that's grace. So we come to this um, this uh, verse in chapter 2, verse 9. And again, another illustration I just want to share with you is, is the, the work of Battelle. I talked a little bit about that. When we are in India, meeting up with some of these guys who have been through hell, literally on the streets or in the gutter, And then coming into the Battelle centres being cleaned up, being given food and a, a safe environment. And then after a year or so, seeing them become dorm leaders or house leaders or pastors or business leaders and missionaries being sent out. I mean, the transformation that happens with these guys and girls is just an amazing work of grace. And I'm sure you've got many stories that you can tell through your own experience or people that you know of where the people have been touched by God's grace so that's a background the context and the definition of grace now let's look at this verse in chapter 2 verse 9 and see what those uh, briefly these four positions of grace that God has put us in the first is a chosen race And we've already noted that this is written to both the Jews and Gentiles. So what does he mean? You're a chosen race. He's not actually talking about the Jewish race per se. It's the spiritual race that Peter is referring to. And a verse in 1 John chapter 3 verse 9 helps me understand this a bit more. It says, No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God the word seed there is the Greek word sperma where we get the English equivalent sperm what what the writer is saying is that the sperm of God dwells within us the DNA of God through the spirit of Christ when we receive Christ we receive his spirit we receive the very nature of Christ within us that makes us a chosen race that makes us all related one father one spirit and we're all one in Christ so we therefore are his chosen race and the best way that I can understand how this works what well, church is the obvious example but when we were in Thailand doing missions, we had 45 missionaries, 17 different nationalities, and 13 different denominations. Normally that's a recipe for disaster when you're trying to work together on the same vision, same plan. But I've yet to experience the oneness and the purpose and the way we were able to work together like we did then. It was just wonderful. I mean, do you have a, a Singaporean brethren with a a charismatic South African, apostolic, reformed charismatic, and then an Irish Presbyterian, Australian Baptist, uh, Lutheran from Germany. I mean, where else is this going to happen? It really is an example of God's grace that we're able to do that. The the distinctives and the theologies and the things that we hold precious, you've got to let them go. And keep the main thing the main thing. Not that you're going to just put them away and forget them. Hold on to them if, if they're what you sincerely believe. But in, in, the, in the light of eternity and the, and the winning of people to Christ and the establishing of a church and leadership, keep the main thing the main thing. We're a chosen race. And Peter says, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay here on earth the world is temporary it's not my home I I like that because we are a spiritual race we're citizens of heaven okay where I'm Australian well fifth generation Australian but I've actually got a Dutch birth certificate but I was born in Indonesia my kids are all born in Thailand I could have an identity crisis if I wanted to I mean, we're all temporary citizens here on this earth. Our real home is in heaven. That's where our citizenship is. We're, we're spiritual, chosen people. Secondly, he says, you're a royal priesthood. And Peter is referring back to an Old Testament verse in Exodus 19:5 and 6, where it says that the children of Israel were actually a kingdom of priests why does he say that the whole of Israel is a kingdom of priests when we know that Aaron um, and his family and the Levites were the ones who were to be the, the priests there well it's because God in wanted everyone in Israel to reflect him and to be the mediator between the other 70 nations that were around about them that didn't know God they were to be light and salt to all of those other nations And it says that people from all nations would grasp the garment of a Jew and say let us go up to Jerusalem for you have heard that God is with you. And our role as a chosen race is to be that mediator between the world that doesn't know Christ and God and to bring them to him and and bring um, people to him with the gospel. So that role has been given to us as well to pray and to intercede and it talks about coming boldly to the throne of grace as christians we can access into that holy place and we are those mediators and thirdly he says a holy nation again it's a quote from exodus 19:6. the jews were to be a holy nation or separated um, and again this peter points this out Uh, that those living under this murderous regime of the Roman Empire, uh, they were to submit themselves to the Roman laws. Now, a holy nation, it doesn't give us the right to obey God and forget the rest of the, um, the laws that we've been put into our society here. There is a place for civil disobedience, but it's a tricky and a murky kind of a, a line there. We have to be careful on this. Um, we're told to submit to the laws of the nation. And the Israelites were to be a holy nation submitting to God, um, but there are laws and decrees that they had to, to live under. So where does that put us? Well, Jesus helps us when he says, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God. Um living as a missionary in places where the laws are like rubber and they are flexible and they kind of don't really work anyway and the lines on the roads and the traffic are kind of more like decorations than anything else I mean how do you live? It it's becomes very very difficult to know what laws you really should keep. In fact in Thailand we, I had to actually break the law to not have an accident you had to cut corners because everyone cut corners So it becomes a bit murky sometimes to know how to live. Now it becomes much more serious and we're having a conversation with a doctor friend of ours who we're encouraging to head into the mission field and he's been over to China and he wants to go there with his wife um, struggling big time in a hospital where he's a consultant and um, the the culture in the medical field there is that euthanasia is, is now law Uh, in Victoria anyway but the culture is already there in the medical practices and and he's he's getting it in the neck as a Christian wanting to preserve life and fighting these non-Christian values now this is going to happen more and more as we turn away from God with our generation my generation have come through a a time of um, grace and uh, great privileges um, but I had a conversation with my my son just a, a couple months ago, and he says, "I don't know how your grandchildren are going to be dad." And the writing is on the wall that persecution will be coming more and more in our Western civilization. I think the the passing of the same-sex marriage bill in in December has given some serious concerns to some uh, people about the the future and how it's going to look. Um, people are already having their jobs on the line um, and there have been death threats and John Howard rightly said that it's the deed authorizing of our Judeo-Christian foundations. Um, so how then shall we live? To coin Francis Schaeffer's words, 50 years ago he prophesied, forecast, it's a book and there's 10 video series of how then shall we live when the Christian constituency is no longer the uh, the moral guideline of our society what then becomes the moral guideline if the Bible is no longer referred to as what is right and what is wrong how then shall we live as a holy nation we need to reflect on God's ways but live in grace now as a missionary in fact two-thirds of our missionaries live like this already around the world in the Middle East in places like Thailand and Cambodia uh, you are the minority and you are living in some places as a persecuted group of believers. To become a Christian in some of these places means death. It means that you have to be thrown out of your family. Uh, we live in a very privileged society but I'm not sure if it's going to be like this for forever. In fact I'm, I'm pretty convinced that it's not going to be. And I think we can take great encouragement from Peter's words here that we have God's grace that we are living under his grace as a holy nation and in that we need to give grace to others even those who might be trying to give us a hard time and finally a people for God's own possession and the King James Version describes this as you are a peculiar people and if I look in the mirror I can agree with that or if we look around but the actual English word changes over time and the root word for this is a Latin word which means peculium. It is a, like a, a pocket money. And and what Peter is saying, is, says you are actually God's special treasure. Slaves were given a peculium, a certain amount of money for work that they've done. It was theirs that they could spend on whatever they wanted. And God is saying you are my special treasure. I have purchased you with... My son's life and I love you and I I have treasured you and I want to use you in my kingdom and so as a church we are now God's special treasure we've been bought with his blood and that gives us great encouragement and security so what's the purpose of all this in verse 10 uh, it is to proclaim the excellencies of him If we have experienced God's grace, then it's not for us to keep to ourselves. It's for us to share with others. And it's actually quite interesting when Peter quotes a verse from Hosea. And uh, it says, For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In this story of Hosea he marries a lady a woman by the name of Gomer a prophet they have three children and then she ends up leaving the family and becomes a prostitute in the midst of this God says to Hosea the prophet now go and find her and reinstate her back into your family as your wife so Hosea is the joke of the community prophet of God goes back and reinstates Gomer as his own and the moral of the story is God is saying to the children of Israel you have adulterated your relationship with me you've abandoned me and my ways and you've gone and prostituted yourself with idols and anything that's not of me but my love for you is so strong that I want to reinstate you back into my, my fold into my kingdom and he says the same to us we have adulterated. We have prost- prostituted our relationship with God by worshiping other, god- other idols and other gods. But there's a, the, and Philip Yancey describes this. He says God warns them darkly, and then almost in mid-sentence, a cry of love escapes in Hosea eleven verse eight. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I give you over, Israel? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion. Is aroused and that's what he does for us despite our failings despite our weaknesses God's love and his grace and his faithfulness is the same so wherever you are today in your walk with him uh, if it's sin we can confess and be clean immediately we can be clean by confessing that before him And if there's long-term struggles that we have, his grace is there. Through prayer and encouragement of the church and others, we can experience freedom and growth. So I want to encourage you this morning, um, as we reflect on God's grace, that we are a royal priesthood with him. We can mediate, we can go into his very throne room. We are called to be a wholly separate nation we are chosen spiritual race, and we are His spiritual treasure. And we can stand firm in that, and despite the persecution that comes because of our status as Christians, um, whether it be big or small, we can take encouragement from God's grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the truths of Your Word that you have called us to be separate. You have called us to yourself. And we thank you that you've given us yourself in the person of Jesus to live in our hearts, that we might reflect your love and your grace to those you've called us to live amongst, that they might also experience you and come to know you as we have. We ask that you would help us to take encouragement from these words and to live them out through your power. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.